How's everyone doing? Off here on Mustahabbat, right? The desirable actions. Okay. Right, Bismillah. Uh, just one clarificatory point. As I mentioned on the, the WhatsApp group, I contacted one of the Shiyukh and he affirmed what we had said that <coughs> essentially, the in the case of swimming, for example. Um, uh, it would fulfill like basically the the point of it was that Mesh falls under ghusl or ghusl in that kind of case. So um, you know, so that would fulfill it. But then you'd be leaving certain sunan that um, that obviously we had just covered, right? So you would you would have missed. Say it was fulfilling a wudu. You would have missed, uh, you know, different things: rinsing the nose, washing the mouth, combing the beard, wiping three times. You know, these kind of things. You would have missed them, and that would be uh, blameworthy. However, one of the other shiuch, I asked another one too. He he made a, a important point, which was that one is blameworthy if they leave something um, uh, kind of like habitually habitually would be a good translation for that habitually leave it so if it's something that you did like once or whatever you know not very often that wouldn't have the same uh, consequence and he mentioned a couple sources that that say that um, from Madhab, so that was that was a nice a nice point. Um, so yeah, Alhamdulillah, it's nice to hear from them. So Inshallah, is that uh, that's clear? Okay, yeah, of course. All right, Bismillah. Qala al-Musannifu, rahimahullahu taala, wa nafunallahu yahubi alumi fi darin. Amin. Mustahabat and wudu. ومستحباته التيامن ومسح الرقبة والأدعية المأثورة فيه وأن يقول بعد فراغه وقيامه مستقبلا أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله اللهم اجعلني من التوابين واجعلني من المتطهرين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك. So if one of you can read the English, that would be good. that dua or that zikr and dua 
Oh, that's fine, because we already... Is the translation there? No, it's not. Okay. Translation being, obviously, that bear witness that there is no God but Allah. He has no partner, and that Muhammad is his servant and messenger. O oh Allah, make me from the tawabin, those who make a lot of tawbah, return to Allah constantly, and make me from those who are pure, who are constantly purifying themselves. That's a, that's a piece of a verse. Uh, and then, glorified are you, Allah, and praise is yours. Bear witness that there is no God but you, and I seek your forgiveness and turn towards you. So that would be the mustahabbat. Mustahabbat beginning with the right side, wiping the back of the neck. You wipe the ears, and then back of the neck. And then you make whatever du'as are uh, transmitted as to um, to be made at that time. It's going to come in the commentary. And then uh, afterwards to stand and face the qibla and make that make that uh, dua as mentioned okay um, and then the disliked acts of ablution makruhatul wudu wa makruhatuhu al-israfu fil ma' wa taqtiru fi wa takallamu bi kalam al-nas wa al-isti'anatu bi ghayri wa al-ziyadatu ala al-thalatha Excuse me. You can read that, inshallah. Okay, good. So it's makruhat, things that are disliked in, in it are number one is to use excess water. Um, which, you know, I think is pretty clear not to be wasteful. It's very common, I think, to see this in the masajid. Uh, I think a, a good exercise to do is um, to try making wudu out of a bowl or something like that. If you get like a little shallow bowl or something, maybe a Tupperware, fill it with a little bit of water. And see how much water it takes you to actually make wudu if you dip your hand in. You dip your hand in, wash your hands first outside of the bowl, then <laughs> dip your hand in the bowl and use the bowl to make wudu. See how much wudu it takes. It's pretty remarkable how little it is. Even someone brought me a gift one time from the Haramain that had this, uh, it's like a container basically that had a senate on it. That goes back to the Prophet and them saying that this is the amount of his handful, um, like his the amount that he would use in wudu, um, and it's like pretty small, you know. Yeah, it's like it's pretty small. It's probably like a coffee cup. Uh, well, I, I guess then you run into the problem of are you talking about a European coffee cup or an American one? But it's a uh, <laughs> it's it's not very much. We'll just put it that way. It's not nothing, but it's not very much either. You see it. If you use a bowl, you'll see it. SubhanAllah. Um, so, to waste water is a problem. Then to not use too m enough is also a problem. Just to use so little that you're barely actually washing. Um, 
and then to speak like to just talk like there's nothing going on you know shoot the breeze so to speak while you're making will do like hey how's it going oh nice new shirt whatever uh how's the weather weather's whatever but to speak with like dhikr and dua and stuff is obviously acceptable as was mentioned in the mustahabbat and then seeking help from another person is like basically having them wash you for no reason which the detail will come in the commentary just to say like if someone has a say they have a lota like thing and they're pouring the water for you and as they pour the water you're washing uh, yourself that's different than if they're washing uh, they're actually like washing you and of course this would be without any reason right if there's a reason for it that's different and then to do to do the washing more than three times yes you know man Yeah, um, yeah, yes, but consider that the, the bathroom used to be split, right? Like there's the place that you use the restroom, actually, and then there's the place where you um would you know wash up or do whatever is they weren't the same place per se um now we generally have them in the same room um in the past it was probably more similar to like a public restroom you know where you have uh, you have kind of like a stall and then you have a washing area that's relatively it's somewhat separate it's not exactly separate, but it's somewhat separate. Um, in a home bathroom, you know, you're like, uh, you can like flush the toilet, close the lid, and you know, as long as your bathroom is clean, there's, I, I think that's not unreasonable. Um, or you make the dua when you, you, uh, at least the dua that's, um, that's for leaving Like this one that is in the mustahabbat Because there's other ones that are going to come in the commentary But the one that's for the mustahabbat You can make that dua when you leave the bathroom Like when you actually step out Right, you can step out Ghufranak Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Ashadu Muhammad Rasulullah Wahda wa la shirikin Ashadu Muhammad Abdul Rasulullah So on and so forth um, Or you could also say them Like in your in your heart or your mind Right, you don't have to actually do it talafud biha. You don't have to actually say them out loud. But I think that there's some. Probably you find some level of uh, discussion around how to deal with modern bathrooms, because really, once like in a in in a home bathroom, again, assuming your bathroom is clean, which for the Muslims. Generally, it is pretty clean because people aren't standing up and making a mess everywhere. Um, so generally, you know, it's pretty clean. You flush, you close the toilet, uh, or probably better to close the toilet and then flush, and then uh, you, you know, it's it's gone. It's not like uh, 
It's, it's not the same as a, a hole in the ground or something, right? Low atom. Okay. So let's go from here to the commentary. Whoops, that was way too fast. Mm -hmm. It would probably help if I knew where what we just covered started from. Uh, no, it was what, B2? Uh, B1, B1. So, it was this section, right? Cleanliness from ritual impurity? Is that, is that word? Okay. Mm -hmm. section cleanliness from ritual impurity so we'll just go through some of these um, I won't read the evidences so much but I don't know we'll see B1.2 as for ablution it has four obligatory actions again because of the verse as we had mentioned oh you who believe when you intend to offer the prayer wash your faces and your arms up to the elbows wipe your heads and wash your feet up to the ankles then this is important. Washing is defined as the flowing of water over a body part such that at least two drops of water drip off according to the strongest opinion. Okay. So that's uh, important. Uh, washing the face we covered. Two below the chin, meaning the jawbone. And the earlobes are the soft part, so we, we covered that. Um, wiping as defi is defined as passing a wet hand over an area. Wiping a quarter of the, hadith, of the head is from the hadith of Mughira ibn Shraba that the Prophet ﷺ performed ablution and wiped his nasiyah. Uh, so he wiped the forefront. Um, and then washing up to and including the ankles uh, we had mentioned that the outer surface of the beard refers to that that covers the skin a light beard through which the skin can be seen in that case you have to wash the actual skin uh, you begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim um, Ibn al-Humam mentions Ibn al-Humam meaning and Kamal Ibn al-Humam the commentator on the Hidayah uh, interestingly he's also um, the one who's buried right next to Ibn Atta'ilah as secondary Rahimahullah Ibn al-Humam is in the hills uh, the bottom of the hills of Muqattam in Egypt um he, what was the verse? So 
something along the lines of he was reading the Quran by the grave of Ibn Atta'ala and he came to one of these verses that talks about the Shaqi and the Sa'id you know the one who is has eternal bliss versus eternal damnation or trial and when he got to Shaqi he heard a voice from the grave of Ibn Atta'ala radiallahu an that said uh Basically, the voice called him out and said, there's no shaqi here. He was he was reading next to the grave of Ibn Atta'ala. So there's no shaqi here. So he made it in his wasiyah, in his bequeathment. He requested that he's buried there. And so he was, he's buried there. Um, which is interesting to note because he is a major figure in the madhab. He's a major figure in the madhab, not only because of his fiqh, but because of his tamakun and hadith, because of his, his strength in hadith. Um, and at the same time, obviously, he had this commitment to spirituality. Um, so he says, you can say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, or Bismillah al-Azim, walhamdulillahi ala deen al-Islam. In any case, uh, you can say, Bismillah of some sort, when you start. Okay, so this is in the Sunan. Some other text, as he mentions there in the commentary, some other text, they mention the Niyyah in the Mustahabbat. But uh, the person, in any case, they make intention and they, they, they um, intend the lifting of the state of their ritual impurity. That this ritual impurity that they're in, that it's lifted. Uh, then the next one is washing the hands up to the wrist three times. This is taken. The three is taken from this long hadith of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu an, where he describes the wudu and talks about he he does it in a particular way and wipes up to three times and so on. He says this is basically the dua that he saw from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then there's the siwak using the siwak. The Prophet says them. Uh, greatly emphasized that saying that if it wasn't for the fear of overburdening his community he would have ordered them to use it before uh, at the time of each wudu uh, if he, if a person doesn't have the toothbrush they can use their finger um, and of course you know if you wake up it's especially recommended in certain situations teeth could become yellow there's bad odor in the mouth you just woke up you're going to prayer, you're going to recite the Qur'an, so on. So all of these are good times to clean the mouth. Then washing the mouth, rinsing the nose, uh, circulating the water in the mouth, rinsing the nose. Um, basically, you pull it, pull it up a little bit when you rinse the nose, but not so much that you're going to hurt yourself. Um... says in the bottom of that section there uh, that washing the mouth and rinsing the nose have another five recommended acts namely to do them in order to do them three times do the mouth and then do the nose to do them three times taking new water for each time and they're done with the right hand and they're done thoroughly by the non-fasting person by the fasting person they should do those very lightly because they don't want to accidentally swallow something or breathe something in so much that it ends up in their uh, oral cavity.
So those are rinsing the nose, washing the mouth, combing the beard. Um, this is the method of combing to take water in the hand to the beard with the back of the hand facing downwards. Um, and then you comb the beard from the bottom to the top. So, uh, how is the method of to take the water in the hand with the beard, the back of the hand facing downwards, and comb the beard from the bottom to the top, taking the back of the hand towards the neck. So you're going like this. Put it here and then do like that. Put the fingers through. He would take a handful of the water, put it to his jaws, pass it through his beard. And he said, this is what my Lord ordered me to do. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Interlacing the fingers. We mentioned to just do this when you're washing your arm. You uh, run your fingers between each other. Washing three times the hands and the face and the er, the the face and the hands and the feet the things that you're washing washing them three times wiping the whole head once as the required part is the nausea but to wipe the whole head is the sunnah because generally the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would do that um, he wiped his head both front and back so he wiped his head both front and back. So both ways. Um, place place the hand. Zayla he mentions. Place the hands and the fingers in the front of the head. Then move them back in a way that will encompass the whole head. Then wipe. If you do that, wipe this uh, with the ears. Uh, Ibn Humam mentions. If you look at the footnote. That the method of wiping the head in which consists of separating the fingers in order to wipe the ears and the palm of the hands in order to wipe backwards um, has no basis in the sunnah. Um, however, a number of the Indian subcontinent scholars regard this method to be a manner in which to wipe the head. You know, uh, I may not, um, I don't know if how much people would agree with me on this one, but one of the things you notice in the school is that in the earlier works, they'll leave things more general. You know, they'll tell you basically, take your hands, wash the head. And if it's there in a hadith, you wipe your head, you wipe your ears, you move on. Um, things like uh, how much nejis on the body is an amount that's so much now that it's... Uh, has to be removed it can't be pardoned things like how much is <clears throat> how much water is a large body of water versus a small body of water which will come in the water section uh, all of these kind of things like they're not in the earlier books they're usually again kind of general about it then in the later books it's like they want to they become more and more and more specific over time um, supposedly to make it easier on the people but sometimes I think like we get overly nitpicky on stuff um, so for example like in the water in the case of the water they say that a large body of water is a body of water that's 10 arm lengths by 10 arm lengths and one hand length uh, deep so essentially one hand leg deep uh, 
in the earlier books it basically just says it's a body of water where if you um, like make ripples on one side of it, it they don't reach the other side or uh, for the amount of impurity that's uh, that is unacceptable they would say that that which the person who's looking at it is kind of repulsed by it uh, but in the later books it'll say like okay it's an amount that's more than the inside of your palm you know more than the inside of your palm which is like very similar to some of the other madhahib. I think the hanbalis are the same it's basically the like the amount of if you were to put your index finger and your thumb together how much amount is that if it's more than that then it's uh, needs to be removed and, and so on I mean uh, um you know, so they end up getting kind of particular later on, but in any case, you wipe the head once. And you wipe the ears with the same water, so you don't get new water. Again, some of the medhabs, they say that it's better to get new water. Uh, you intend with your heart that which you will perform from ablution, superior to intend to precede the intention before the first of the recommended acts. So make the intention from the beginning. And to follow the order and continuity means to wash the next body part before the previous one becomes dry, as we had said before. Um, and it's also said that it means to not busy oneself with another action between the washing of the body parts. So there's some conversation on that, but generally what I've seen is uh, more particularly the first one. Okay, and then we go on to the desirable acts, actions of ablution. As for the desirable acts, they are to start from the right side. The Prophet ﷺ, I believe it's Aisha that mentioned that. Yeah, it's there in the commentary. That the Prophet ﷺ, uh, would in prefer to start with the right side in and um, uh, in, in the things that he did so you know getting dressed putting shoes on making wudu making ghusl these things are all going to start from the right side and wiping the back of the neck is mentioned here um, interestingly enough it's not um, that's not mentioned in the mutun at least I shouldn't say I shouldn't generalize. It's not mentioned in Quduri. It's not mentioned in Al Mukhtar, which are two major met, uh, metins in the Madhab. It's not mentioned in those, but it's it's mentioned in kind of like the later text. So wiping the back of the neck. So you you would wipe your ears, and then with the back of your hands, you wipe the back of your neck. The transmitted invocations during ablution, Sheikh Abu Bakr al-Mullah mentions the following invocations. So he mentions these um, these different things to say at each part. These are not necessarily, um, I guess not necessarily the case that there are strong narrations from the Sunnah for each of these statements. But you notice that Actually, you might not notice because there's no translation on them. Um, so I should translate them. 
So when washing the mouth, y you'll note what you will notice is that each of them uh, relates to what's being done. Maybe I won't read all of them, but actually I should read all of them. Allahumma inni ala tilawatin Quran wa dhikrika wa shukrika wa hasni ibadatik for when washing the mouth, which is saying, Oh Allah, aid me in reciting the Quran and remembering you and being grateful to you and worshiping you in a beautiful way. So it's something you're doing with your mouth. When rinsing the nose, Allahumma arihni ra'ihatan jannah wa la turihni ra'ihatan nar. Oh Allah, give me the, uh, allow me to smell the aroma of paradise and keep me away from the aroma of the hellfire. And when washing the face, Allahumma bayyid wajhi yawma tubiyaddu wujuhun wa tuswaddu wujuh. Oh Allah, make my face white on the day when some, wise, some faces will be white. And some faces will be dark. And when washing the right hand, Allahumma a'tini kitabi biyamini wa hasibni hisaban yasira. Oh Allah, give me my book in my right hand and give me an easy accounting. In the left hand, Allahumma la tu'atini kitabi bishimani wa la min wara'i dhahri. Oh Allah, don't give me my book in my left hand or behind my back, as there, you know, refers to these verses in um, Juz'amma. And uh, when wiping the head, Allahumma adhillani tahta dhilli arshik yawma la dhilla illa dhillu arshik. Oh Allah, give me the shade of your throne on a day when there is no shade but the shade of your throne. Uh, about the head, so you're protecting the head from that. Wiping the ears, Allahumma ja'alni minal ladhina yastami'oon al-qawla fayattabi'oona ahsana. Oh Allah, make me from those who hear the best of speech and act upon it and follow it. And when wiping the neck, Allahumma... Oh Allah, free my uh, neck from the fire. And washing the right foot, Allahumma thabit qadamayya ala sirati yawma tazillu fihi al-aqdam. Oh Allah, make my feet firm on the sirat on the day when the feet slip. And then when washing the left foot, Allahumma ja'al dhanbi maghfuran wa sa'i mashkuran wa tijarati lantabur. Oh Allah, make... Uh, my let my sins be forgiven and my efforts rewarded um, and that which I put forth let it be profitable okay so these are all at the end of which one makes salah on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Tahtawi, who was a um, <coughs> an Egyptian Hanafi, has a Hashia on Maraqi and Falah, has a meta commentary on the ascent to success. This is different than the ascent to felicity. Maraqi al Saadat and Maraqi and Falah. Same author, uh, both also the same author of Nur al Idah, Shurun Bulali, who was a Azhari. Um, and they, uh, he wrote all of those books. So Tahtawi says that our Sheikh Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani <coughs> was asked regarding the narrations that are mentioned uh, for each of these limbs, and he said that they are weak. And the scholars are lenient when mentioning the weak hadith and acting upon them in virtuous deeds. Um...
you see that in the footnote so you know they're not the strongest narrations but there's they're not a bad thing to do either and then when one finishes to make the dua as we mentioned disliked actions um, in the Hanafi school there's two types of disliked as you you may know there's makru tanzihi and makru tahrimi or tanzihan wa tahriman This is a place of great confusion between the Hanafis oftentimes and the rest of the Ummah. You see it in Masajid in the West. Because you might have someone from another school saying, oh, it's Makru, as if it's not a big deal. And then the Hanafis will lose their mind because of the following. The, the Makru Tanzihi is like the one, the slightly disliked is like the Makru of the other Madahib. But the makru tahrimi is basically like the haram in action. It's similar. It's the same basically as the distinction between wajib and fard is the distinction between makru tahrimi and haram. So in practice, it's supposed to be avoided. Uh, in aqidah, the one who rejects it is different than the one who rejects the haram. But uh, it's prohibitively disliked. If one does it, they are sinful. And... Uh, uh, generally in the works of the Hanafi school As it mentions in the last line there If the term karaha or makru is used <coughs> And it's unqualified Then generally it's prohibitively disliked So what would that mean for this section Is that it's not qualified in any sort of way These are things that are prohibitively disliked so to use excess water, the Prophet ﷺ forbade this, uh, even when he said, even if you are flowing at a, if you are at a flowing river, even if you're at a flowing river, you don't waste the water. Right? And this is an interesting principle. Just as you know, a quick side note, that's an interesting concept. So uh, wastage is not predicated upon the existence of excess. Wastage, wastage is is known by using more than you need right so just because I have endless stockpile of corn doesn't mean that it's not wasteful to throw corn out if I don't need it um, or to just like leave half a plate full of corn when I eat it or or a good example would be a buffet right like you go eat at a buffet which my non-fiqhi opinion on a buffet is that it's mukru. Using fiqhi, like not a fatwa, but <laughs> but I feel like mukru tanzihi, by the way, not tahrimi. But basically, if you go to a buffet, you're going to overeat because you want to get your money's worth or you're tempted. So it's very, very likely that you're going to eat too much when you go to the buffet. But in any case, go to the buffet so you're like I'll fill up my plate I'm gonna get all this stuff and then you end up throwing out half of it and that's excess even if all of that food is there in the buffet line doesn't make any difference so the water even if you're at a, a flowing river to use more water than you need is still to use more water than you need um, and then the next one is to use too little Excuse me, I stayed up too late. Um, 
But if we don't do this early, there's no way I'll be able to be consistent. So this is the only option. Uh, to use too little water uh, is basically to not to, to be worried about using it so much so that you're not really using uh, instead of washing three times you just wash once or you use so little that it's more like a wipe than it is a wash but that so how, how that wouldn't that be not acceptable because you didn't wash why would this be in the makru well first of all it is tahriman uh, but second of all if you wiped if you had enough water so little water that it wasn't enough to wash with but you could wipe with it but you wiped three times probably ends up being more like one wash so assuming you still fulfill the absolute minimum but you're using so little that it's not a so he says it is the water not reaching the desirable amount when washing, meaning three times. It also applies to not washing properly during ablution, such that it becomes similar to wiping, with the dripping of water not being evident. Okay, and then talking with normal speech, meaning that while performing ablution is disliked to have a normal conversation without a need, uh, because that would distract the person from focusing on what they're doing and making the dhikrs for the different part parts uh, seeking help from another person meaning receiving help with washing or wiping the parts of the body as for the pouring of water or bringing it for someone who wishes to perform ablution there is nothing disliked in this even if they have requested it and then doing more than uh, three times washing if due to the doubt if due to doubt the person uh, if due to doubt the person performing ablution increases the washing for the reassurance of the heart, then there is no harm in this. Um, I would be wary with that a little bit. I think that oftentimes people who find this doubt occurring a lot tend to be people who are struggling at some level with um, kind of like obsessive compulsive tendencies if not full blown OCD um, so just be careful with that like if you yourself find that you're always doubting whether or not you've actually washed three times and so on and so forth either come up with a method that reminds you or just go with what you think it is and move on don't like get stuck in that rut if you find that you're dealing with someone uh, that seems to be having an issue with this don't give them this advice if you give them that advice you will be uh, doing them most likely harm so don't don't tell them that don't say if you have doubt you can just wash as many times as you want they're gonna sit there and wash for two hours so uh, be careful with that one a little bit I don't know if you guys have dealt with cases like that, but OCD is pretty. When you when you when you start talking to people who ha are struggling with OCD, you realize that uh, it's something that sometimes, like culturally, we use too lightly. Say, so, "Oh, stop being OCD" or something like. It's not you know. It's really really tough actually, um, and a lot of therapists don't even like taking those cases because they're very challenging. Okay, so we're now on section B2. 
everything is good so far alhamdulillah all right b2 section on fadlun faslun fima yanqudu an wudu'a wa ma la yanquduhu section that which nullifies ablution and that which does not nullify it so now we're going into those things that break, break your wudu sorry i have this internet radio and it just got super loud for some reason and then went back down <coughs> So a section on that which nullifies ablution and that which does not nullify it. When نواقض الوضوء ما خرج من السبيلين والنجس أن خارج من غيرهما إن سال إلى موضع يجب تطهيره في الوضوء أو الغسل وقيء نحو الطعام والماء إذا كان ملأ الفم لا قيء بلغم وإن كثر والإغماء والجنون والسكر والنوم المضطجع والمتكئ على أحد الوركين لا نوم المتمكن من الأرض ولا نوم المصلي وقهقهة بالغ في صلاة مطلقة والمباشرة الفاحشة لا مس الفرج وَمَسْءُ الْمُرْأَةِ وَخُرُوجُ دُودَةٍ مِنْ جُرْحٍ Okay, so if someone can read those and then we'll go through them one by one. Sorry. just comment on some of these and then we'll go to the uh, the commentary so the things that break will do again if it's not mentioned here that means it doesn't break will do it's one of the things too like you don't have to ask about every single thing if they if they didn't mention it it's, it doesn't break it okay number one is that which exits from the private parts so anything that leaves from the private parts, the front and the back, if that happens, uh, then there's a breaking of wudu. Whether it's air or solid or liquid or whatever it might be. 
number two is impure substances exiting from other than the private parts if the impure substance flows to a place which is necessary to cleanse in ablution or bathing this is a very particular wording right the madhab is very particular on this wording so impure substances which will come later in the section on impurities but things like blood vomit um pus you know things like that um could even be uh, urine itself right so maybe maybe you're um you know you have a tube or something that's uh, removing urine from your body or you have some bladder issue whatever it might be you can think of medical reasons why that might be the case and that impurity is flowing to a place which is necessary to bathe in wudu uh, or cleanse in wudu or bathe in ghusl what that is saying is basically why does this matter there's two points in that, that in that uh, expression the latter of those two points is that if you had, for example, internal bleeding, that doesn't break your wudu. Okay? So it does actually matter. Their ex their expression is very particular. Because if you just said, um, uh, exit, like, in najis and kharij min you could say, like, you had blood that exited from an organ, and it was still inside of your body, but it exited from the organ, and it flowed. Does it break your wudu or not? It doesn't. It's, it goes to something. It's bleeding that happens on something that's external in your body. Something that you would wash in wudu uh, or ghusl. And it has to flow. So like if you have a scrape and some blood kind of like comes to the surface, but it doesn't bleed, you know, like actually run, then that doesn't break your wudu. What's the the mu'tabir here is quwwatu sayyalan what's what's considered here is the capacity to run not necessarily the actual running or bleeding right so like if you if it was going to bleed but you covered it with something and it didn't then that would still uh, break your wudu then vomiting the like of food and water that if it is a mouthful what they mean by a mouthful is basically it's so much that you can't really you can't keep it down it, it kind of like forces itself out that's how they define the mouthful um, not vomiting of phlegm but vomiting of food and water and bile and stuff like that a loss of consciousness which is a loss of consciousness insanity which is Related. All of these last ones are related. Loss of consciousness, insanity, intoxication, sleeping. Or not all of them, but those four are related in the sense that they all have to do with the mind losing the attention of the mind. So losing consciousness, insanity, intoxication. Sleeping, lying down. This is also a very particular expression. Sleeping, lying down, or leaning on one of the buttocks. Not the sleep of one firmly seated, nor the sleep of the one in prayer. So uh, there's a lot of kanam in the madhab. There's a lot of conversation in the madhab on this particular one, and uh, certain parts of it. So the the person who's lying down, 
there's everyone agrees in the madhab that that breaks your wudu. The person who's sitting in like not with their backside firmly planted, you know, one side of it is up or something like that, then that one also, uh, it's you know the madhab is agreed that uh, that breaks your wudu. The person who's sitting firmly planted, firm the backside firmly planted, and they're not leaning on something, the madhab basically agrees that that person it does not break their wudu. Uh, the one that there's the big debate on is the person who's sitting with their backside firmly planted, and they're leaning on something, that if that thing were removed, they would fall. Okay, they they fall asleep. So like on the couch I'm sitting on. I fall asleep and I'm leaning on this couch. If someone removed that couch from behind me, I'd probably fall. But if I'm sitting like, you know, I'm leaning, I'm sitting like cross-legged and I'm leaning forward, I'm not leaning on anything, right? Um, that if it was to, to be removed in the first place. What he mentions here is uh, he doesn't make that, um, he, he doesn't make that specification so not the sleep of the one firmly planted nor the sleep of the one in prayer so he doesn't distinguish between leaning or not leaning okay so uh, you will find this is one of the issues where um, you can get caught up reading the text because you'll find like in Mukhtasr and Quduri he mentions that it breaks your wudu uh, if you're leaning on something and and Mukhtar, you'll find that if you're leaning on something, it breaks your wudu. All the way up to even uh, Al-Lubab commentary on Quduri. He mentions that if you're leaning on something, it breaks your wudu. And he's much later. He's the student of Ibn Abidin. But Ibn Abidin, his one is the one that the fatwa is on. And that is that you, it, if you're leaning on something, as long as your backside is firmly planted, it does not break your wudu. Okay, now that I killed that to death, hopefully it's understood. But uh, why this matters, obviously, it's like it actually happens. And the place, a big place where it actually happens is on a plane flight. So if you're to take the clear meaning of the text... If a person sleeps with their backside firmly planted, even if they're leaning on something, so they can sleep sitting up in a chair, and it would not break their wudu. So if you're in like the window seat, this is actually a major issue. A major, you know, make sure you sleep in a way that your backside is firmly planted and roll with it. Uh, it's shocking almost when you hear it, right? So I've I've double checked this with a number of people and specifically ask them like okay so if I'm on a flight and I have wudu and I'm sitting in the aisle seat or the window seat and I make sure my backside is firmly planted and I then I sleep on the plane and I wake up and it's like that half an hour when I'm flying east and I have that half an hour window to pray fajr and I wake up right before the fajr time I have wudu yes you have wudu so this is a major, uh, uh, it's important. <coughs> All right. And then next is the loud laughter of an adult in a complete prayer. 
the meaning of the complete prayer will come in the commentary. But laugh, loud laughter is uh, such that um, someone next to you can hear you. Someone next to you can hear you. So the distinction here would be that if you laugh such that you can hear yourself, the prayer is broken, but the wudu is not. But if you laugh such that a person next to you would be able to hear it, then the prayer is broken and the wudu is broken also. Okay. Yes, Norman. Uh, sound. So, so you're you're smiling. I mean, like you're laughing. You're not <laughs> right. Like not talking, but you're you're smiling. You're trying to hold that laugh in. Probably it's happened to people before. You know, someone does something funny while you're praying, and of course, laughing while praying is kind of like laughing while doing push-ups. It, for some reason, it takes less to laugh when you're in those circumstances <laughs> than when you're not in them. So someone does something and you're like trying to hold back your laugh, but as soon as you're trying to hold it back, it's like impossible to hold it back now. So you, <coughs> like something starts to, you know, start to come out. If the noise that comes out as you're trying to hold that laugh in, such that the person next to you can hear you, this is an qah qah. If not, then it's dahik. Uh, dahik doesn't break the uh, uh, break the wudu. Breaks the salat, but not the wudu. Okay, which will come in the salat part. Give me the difference. <laughs> What's the difference? Does that count as a salt yachut or not? I don't know. Let me make a note. So it's like a exhalation, but not necessarily a sound leaving from the voice box. Does that count as a laugh that uh, breaks? A note, see what I can find, inshallah. Uh, just to be sure, you know, I don't want to. These kind of things, you should, it's better to be sure. <laughs> All right.
Okay, one mubasharatu and fahisha, contact of private parts, not touching the private parts. So private parts coming together. Uh, male and female, or it's not necessarily particular. It's not saying that it's acceptable, but it's not necessarily. Um, you know, sometimes the thing is, it could be included. It's not saying that it's halal. Like oftentimes they'll talk about you have to make ghusl, someone has to make ghusl if they were to have penetration with an animal. They're not saying that you can have penetration with an animal. They're just saying that if that were to happen, you have to make ghusl. So private parts touching each other. Uh, but not touching private parts. Okay, so like if you touch your own private parts, that doesn't break wudu. Uh, uh, and touching a woman doesn't break wudu, which is contrary to the shafis. Or a woman touching a man doesn't break wudu. And the exiting of a worm from a wound. So you have a wound, it's not running blood. And a worm leaves from it, so that worm, it's exiting from the body, but it's not impure, so that doesn't break the wudu. Okay. Why did they mention that? It must have been, uh, you know, something that happens. Allah protect us. <coughs> All right. So we go to the commentary quickly, so we can finish up for today. I know it's getting late now. Um, uh, section that which nullifies ablution and that which does not nullify it. So the back and the front. Uh, that which exits from the private parts, the back referring to the back and the front passageways. Impure substances such as blood and pus. Again, more detail will come in the impure section. Section on impurities. Um, uh, on the blood flowing. Sorry, did you say something? No? Okay. On the blood flowing, uh, to rise and flow from the head of the cut. So, you know, it's a, and again, it's the issue of whether or not it would have run if you wipe it. Uh, still counts. Vomiting of food and water if it is a mouthful. Uh, yes, go ahead, Zaman. Sure. It does. Um, well, you're saying if it doesn't come to the outside. So like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, in the mouth, they say that if you were to like spit and the blood was uh, like more than the saliva or it kind of like overpowered the saliva, then that would count. But if it's like a very, very little amount, you know, then it doesn't. If in the nose, it's because the nose and the mouth are areas that you wash, right? If you go back to that definition, um, it's exiting now into an area that you wash. So if that's how they define it, though, in the in the mouth is that if it يغلبو, uh that the if the blood becomes more than the saliva, or if in the nose, if um, you know if it bleeds, you, it's, it's a bloody nose is a bloody nose. Yeah. 
even though they're not from the fara'id of uh, or the furud of the wudu, they still count, yeah, because it's a place that you wash. be a section on Hayd and Istihada um, but basically they distinguish between bleeding that is in uh, like um, from the woman's normal cycle versus that which is not um, so but that it breaks wudu bleeding that's outside of the cycle breaks wudu um, some sort of discharge it would also break wudu because it's a discharge that's coming from um, out of one of the, the private parts. But what happens is that if they become a person who, um, like it's continuous essentially, like it's, it's you know, it's not just like a one. So you're going to go through like the whole prayer time and pretty much through the whole prayer time there's some level of discharge then that becomes, that's a certain category of people, which is people who, they're called Ashab al-Adhar, people who have an excuse. And it's similar to a person who has, I think they call it incontinence, where, where the urine keeps dripping, right? Um, those people, what they do is they make wudu for the prayer time. So like, for the time of dhuhr, they make wudu. And they can pray inside of the Dhuhr time, whatever they want to pray. And then once the Asr comes, they renew their wudu for the time of Asr. And they do that for each each prayer time. You're welcome. Alright, so vomiting the like of food and water, if it is a mouthful, meaning that it fills a person's mouth such that it is not possible to close the mouth except with difficulty or that they can't keep it down. Uh, it's not mentioned here, but that's another way that it's mentioned in some of the books. Not the vomiting of phlegm. Um, okay, so thus the ruling is given to what is predominant. So sometimes phlegm and vomit is mixed with food, uh, vomit. So then the ruling is given to what is dominant. That's also the same principle that I just mentioned about the... Um, about the blood and the saliva and hukmul al-aghlab that the ruling is given to that which is predominant loss of consciousness um, clear insanity intoxication sleeping lying down we already covered um, it's these things like they're not actually just as a slight point they, there's a difference between hadith and madhannat and hadith like something that's actually breaks the wudu or something that you don't really have um, uh, any control over yourself so it's kind of like assumed that hadith happened because you don't really know if it did or not so that's like these losing um, 
sleeping, stuff like that, falls in that category. Someone had a, their hand up, question. Uh, loss of consciousness different than sleep. So loss of consciousness would be like you passed out or you got knocked out <laughs> or you got choked out. Those are all variations of loss of consciousness. <laughs> No, they, that's why it's mentioned separately. Um, because it's, it is, in a sense, but because of that whole issue of their backside being flat, um, it's, it's different. Also, usually with the loss of consciousness, like if you're asleep, generally if the person's asleep and uh, someone comes in like smacks them in the face a little bit, they're going to wake up, right? But a loss of consciousness that might not actually wake them up right away. They need the blood to get back to the head or whatever it might be. Um, so like a sleep, for example, like a sleep from drinking too much alcohol. Now you've passed out, you didn't sleep. It's like it's slightly different than sleeping. You actually lost consciousness. So we're assuming that your backside is not firmly planted, right? Let's say you're like laying on your side and you're kind of like nodding in and out. Um, God. I remember coming across a dalbit on that, but I don't remember what it is right now. It's not coming to me for some reason. Um, nodding off in sleep, break or not. Inshallah, I'll find it. That one should be easy to find. I don't know why I can't remember it right now. Um, yeah, sorry. So sleep we did uh, laughing in prayer right yeah these are the last ones okay laughing in prayer loud laughter is defined as that which can be heard by the person praying themselves and those next to them laughter on the other hand is defined as it being heard by the person themselves but not the person next to them this nullifies the prayer and not the ablution so I had mentioned that smiling is defined as that which consists of no sound and has no impact on the validity of the prayer Okay. Um, there's these evidences, so on. We'll have to go back to that question that came up there before. Uh, contact of the private parts, meaning without a barrier and between two aroused individuals. So, um, 
this would break the wudu. Contact in and of itself is not invalidating the ablution, even if accompanied by desire. That's the position of Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani. So it's just saying that there's some debate amongst the imams. Um, it's a big question, actually. You know, it, actually, I don't want to go off on that tangent. Oh, now that I opened it, I have to. Um, is the madhab Abu Hanifa or is the madhab Abu Hanifa and the Imams Abu Yusuf and Muhammad? It's a huge debate. So one side would say it's Abu Hanifa, and the other two are mentioned just by way of like basically comparative fiqh. And then the another opinion would say no, they're all three mentioned because kind of like all three of them comprise the madhab. Um, it's just a big debate on it. Uh, but in any case, the position of Abu Hanifa is contact of private parts breaks the wudu. Um, but touching one's private parts doesn't break your wudu. There's conflicting hadith on this, that's why the madahib differ, or seemingly conflicting hadith on this. But the Hanafi school is that it doesn't break your wudu. Touching a woman or touching the opposite gender doesn't break your wudu in the Hanafi school. And the worm. Uh, the reason why a worm and a stone when exiting from the rear passageway invalidates the ablution is because they will not be free from filth. As the exiting of even a small amount of filth from the rear passageway invalidates the ablution. So it's just making that point. In any case, a worm exiting doesn't break wudu in and of itself if it's not from... Ahad is Sabilain. Okay. So, uh, so, what about the use of contraception? Uh, you didn't answer the qu You didn't ask your question out loud, out of Hayat. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> um, where did the section go? Meaning without a barrier between two aroused individuals. So what I mean by that is like clothes or piece of cloth or something. Um, so this, what would the surah be if there was contraception? Um, the surah would be that you... Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not very likely. <laughs> like, if you get to that point, it's not very likely. Um, let me see where, yeah, the ghusl section is going to come. Because this is referring to touching without penetration. You know, it's possible. But, uh, what a contraception... That comes up actually. I was just I've been reading in the Hanbali Madhab, and it comes up over there too. And in one of the commentaries, they distinguish between that which is like thicker, you know, a piece of cloth or something, and that which is really very thin, such that it's almost as if you're not, as if there's not a barrier. So I would imagine that a similar. What's interesting now is like reading between Madhab when you get into the details. Some of the similar thawabit are the same. Um, some of the, the principles of distinguishing between things. So I would imagine that 
contraception it's, it would still apply because it's as if you're not there's a barrier but it's as if there's not a barrier um, you're very welcome okay inshallah yes No, not of not of wudu. Remember what we said yesterday in terms of um, something can be impure, and you have to get rid of it. But it doesn't break your wudu if you're if you if it touches you. Right? Do you remember that from from uh, from yesterday? So, uh, like the dog and stuff like that, those will come in impurities and removing impurities, but. Does it break your wudu? No, it, it doesn't break your wudu. Uh, what was that question? That type. Um, so let's stop here. Wassalamu alaikum. Wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wasallam. We'll continue next time, inshallah.